You're listening to the Trainumentary. On this episode, we visit with musician Lenny Pickett. time I remember hearing John Coltrane's music was in uh, 1967. I was 13 and my mother had remarried and she married a jazz musician and he had uh, a collection of recordings. Um, he had pretty much everything that was on impulse and a lot of the other things that Train had done. And I remember picking through it and listening to you know, different records, and he would talk about them, and talked about John Coltrane, who had passed away only recently. And I'd been listening to jazz for a while, but that was the first time I remember encountering, encountering his music. Over the next year or two, I had listened to all the records quite a few times, um, and was very engaged with it. I, I, I was really intrigued by the, a lot of the modal playing that he was doing because I was just beginning to play saxophone myself and it was one of the kinds of playing that I could approach. And so it was comprehensible to me. And uh, my, my stepfather would play uh, at the piano and play, you know, sort of similar sounding things and I would play along. And so I was listening to it and not, not sort of imitating, but following along and in, imagining what, what that was like and trying to hear different things in it. It was a very nascent sort of experience for me in terms of jazz playing. So really one of the very first things I started to, to listen to. A few years later, moved to a place that was a couple doors down from a some musicians that I heard playing all the time. And I used to stand out in front of their apartment and listen to them play. And it turns out it was Burt Wilson was the saxophone player. He became my teacher. One of the things he would do is we would just listen to John Coltrane together a lot. And he had a lot to say about it. I remember very particularly his interest in the Expression album. It meant a lot to him. And I can remember listening to that and pretty much all the recordings and having a sense of someone was talking to me. There was a, a quality of narrative in the music that um, I was perceiving. It felt as if I was there was a communication. And always, and this is the case with me for most music, I wasn't specifically listening to the, the technical aspects of it, but more the, the gesture in the music, you know, more, more what was indicated by the music and less specifically uh, the technical details of the music. Though I, you know, investigated that as well because, it, you know, in order to, to expand my playing, I wanted to understand all the, the mechanics of it. But initially, I remember being mostly affected just by the quality of the gesture and the performance. John Coltrane occupied an interesting space in the world. If you look at it chronologically, he was born 
almost within a year of the first Hot Five recordings that Louis Armstrong did. And he died right around the time that the Sgt. Pepper album came out. Jazz is a music that exists largely in recordings, at least for most people. And before recordings, it's hard to say there was any such thing as jazz history. And John Coltrane's recordings, I think, are seminal recordings. Perhaps some of the first concept records. You know, there, there were things about his recordings that tell a story, have a beginning, a middle, and end. They, they work as narratives, especially the, the stuff on, on impulse. They, they transcend the category of just a, a series of songs on an album, a collection of songs, and they start to become books, you know, storytelling devices. And the stories are very nonverbal. You have to experience them on the way in which they, they are intended and very sonic and, and their quality. And the interesting thing for me about those recordings is to think that they were all done with a two-track tape recorder and some microphones and no headphones. So the musicians were hearing themselves in the room at the time. They weren't hearing the results of what they were doing until after they recorded them. And there's a, a very compelling quality of sound on those recordings. And it's a collaborative thing between the engineers and the, and the musicians. But, but you hear this quality of exploration in the sound, which I think is key to understanding his music. Much of what he does is hard to explain in the usual grid of pitch and time and dynamics. Much of it has to do with timbre and the way that sound is expressed. And, if you really want to understand his music, you have to listen to it with an ear towards the overall sound effect of the music. Um, that's what really conveys it to people. I think that's what made, what's made him accessible to a lot of listeners, is that it's maybe technical in some aspects of its conception, but in its presentation, it's a very visceral thing. And I think most people can just experience by, by listening and experiencing the raw quality of the sound. listening to the ballads record and then I was listening to the expression record and I was noting just how similar they were. I know that seems kind of odd in a way um, because one is this very quiet and completely lyrical kind of expression but if you listen to the way that each note is shaped and how much of a voice is in the sound and how, how the most important aspect of the music is the shaping of the sound that is completely consistent through all of his work, no matter how many notes he was playing, no matter whether it was harmonic, whether it was chordal, whether it was modal, it doesn't really matter. The thing that remains consistent and the thing that I find most attractive and the thing that maybe I took in subliminally or otherwise from listening to his music is the idea that it's the embodiment of the sound, it's the creation of the sound that, that is ultimately the most important thing.
musicians in, in the Saturday Night Live band are certainly uh, intimately familiar with John Coltrane's music for various reasons, and, and they encountered it at various times in their lives. Many of the musicians in the band are jazz musicians, but even the ones that aren't have certainly been exposed to it. Occasionally, by accident, we're required to do some sound sculpture. Something goes haywire, and we all have to go back to our instincts and, and figure out what's going to happen next as a group. And it can be very creative, um, and occasionally the guitar player, who's the youngest guy in the band, will yell out, blow some train um, in the middle of, the, of our sound sculpture episodes. And because it's a live show and there's a lot of spontaneous you know, give and take between the musicians, I think that the, certainly the spirit of that music, if not the actual ingredients of the music, is often there. The, the sense of, of listening to one another and responding to one another and being creative with the outcome and working together as a group to make it happen is something that happens fairly often. I think people should listen to John Coltrane because not to listen to it is to miss a really important area of music. You would miss a very important part of musical history, certainly, and a very important aspect of musical expression if you missed what he had to say. So many people were influenced by his playing. If you don't know where their roots are, you have less understanding of what they're doing. And even though he passed away many, many years ago, the echoes of his music are very profoundly present still and will remain so for quite some time. information on the program, visit trainumentary.blogspot.com.